0: Turn your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. pick up the newspaper today it's like reading a commentary on the word of God unwittingly those who write those who make the news probably have no idea that they are bringing to pass truths and prophecies that are already in the word of God It's wonderful to see how the word dovetails and all the scripture just fits together. And tonight as we speak about that subject in Romans chapter (coughs) 1, keep in mind that this is a second part of last Sunday night's message. God gave them up. And last Sunday night, we began the book of Amos, the oldest book of sermons in the world. And you remember the the way Amos brought the indictment under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He brought the indictment on all the surrounding nations for three transgressions of Tyre, of Edom, of Egypt, of Babylon, of Assyria, and then Israel. And then he circled in of Judah and that he circled in on Israel and the ultimate was God had done everything for them and that didn't help then God had brought judgment upon them and that didn't do any good and finally the theme therefore O Israel prepare to meet thy God now we come to Romans chapter 1 we have made a cycle And the Lord Jesus has been introduced to the Roman world. And Paul is bragging on the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. The key verse in all of the book of Romans is Romans 1.16. In which Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, what Paul is saying, I'm going to bring an indictment, but I want to say in advance that across the dark chasm of man's black sin, God has erected a glorious causeway of grace. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power, the dunamis of God unto deliverance, to those who are bound in the shackles of the sins that I'm going to name. As we go into this, let's have prayer. Our Father, we ask tonight that the Spirit of God would guide our thoughts, guide everything that we say, so that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. Guard us from presumptuous statements. And may the Holy Spirit speak through us Give illumination to the Word of God. Somebody here without Jesus tonight, may they come home to God. And others who are saved, may they be encouraged by Thy Spirit to bring their lives into an open stand for the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The song, In Loving Kindness Jesus Came, My Soul in Mercy to Reclaim. From sinking sand he lifted me. That's my testimony. I think it's one of the greatest songs in the hymn book. And that's Paul's testimony. He thought he was doing God an honor when he put to death Christians until God changed the direction of his life. And Paul is saying it is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others he can do for you, the Greek Old Roman world, world that is so eaten up with mythology. Jesus is the answer. And he begins in verse 18 by saying, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they know the truth, but the unrighteousness of their mind and thoughts so permeates everything that it adulterates the truth. And look what the result is. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in their imaginations, their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up. Underscore that in your Bible. He gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the, crea- the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this cause God gave them up. Underscore that. He gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did exchange the natural use for that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was fitting. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over, mark that, to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not seemly, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without net understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God that they who commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Three times, in this passage, God gave them up. God gave them up. And I submit to you, God did not give them up without great long-suffering. God did not give them up without severe warnings and sufficient warnings. The passage we mentioned last Sunday night is related to this. God sent Amos to wave a red flag in the face of the people and say, your sin is leading you down the corridor to the graveyards of the nations. Repent, turn back to God. But they would not listen. And so in an unusual indictment, God told Amos to go to Bethel and to preach concerning the sins of all the nations. And as he preached, they said, amen, Amos. Preach on, preach on. We knew that that nation was wicked. We knew that that nation deserved damnation. We knew that all those nations should be discarded by God and placed on the trash heap of the nations. And God got closer and closer and closer. And finally, he came to her southern sister Judah. And God said, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not turn away the transgressions thereof, the punishment thereof, the sin thereof, the result thereof, And they still didn't repent. And then God moved right into the state of Israel's sin. And Amos said, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And he cataloged all their sin, and they still would not repent. God sent blessings, prosperity, and that didn't do any good. God sent judgment. He withheld the rain. He sent pestilence, all kinds of economic problems, and that did no good. And finally, Amos said, Therefore, O Israel, prepare to meet thy God. God gave them up. And in the year 785, the Assyrian hordes swept down on Israel and took into captivity the ten northern tribes. They went off into oblivion. and No one knows their whereabouts to this day. except God now Paul coming to the seat of Roman paganism the very capital of the Roman Empire writes to those Roman Christians and he says listen I'm not one whit disappointed in the gospel of Jesus Christ for the gospel of Christ is the power of God and the salvation To everyone who believes, everyone, notice everyone, those who are caught in the shackles of sin, those who are bound in the bondage of habits, everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Greek. Paul makes it very, very clear that the only way God ever gives up is when someone rejects that gospel, rejects God's only remedy for sin. Rejects God. And ladies and gentlemen, America founded by God seekers rather than gold seekers, America whose great spiritual foundation and principles were established on truths preached by the great awakening preachers, like the man who preached down here in Logan County in a little one-room church and a great spiritual awakening spread there, like the man who preached up in New England, Jonathan Edwards, who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. That man, those men, those preachers laid the spiritual framework upon which this republic was built. Actually, our nation's birthday ought to be July 4th. 1740, rather than July 4th, 1776, because it was in the Great Awakening that the theolo- theological principles and all the framework was set that enabled those men to gather in the in the congreg- in the Constitutional Convention that laid the principles for our great America. And in 1962. By a willful, open decision, the highest court of our land said the most important institution in America, our schools, the most important institution for the training as far as the secular society would look at it, our schools can no longer read the Bible or pray. Now before that Supreme Court decision, it was not mandatory that the Bible be read or that prayers be offered. I recall in high school, many times there was no Bible and prayer in the school I went to. But there was a copy of the Ten Commandments on the wall and a teacher would feel free every once in a while to say, let's just read those Ten Commandments. In chapel at DuPont Manual High School in Louisville, The principal would feel free to have us salute the flag and then have some minister from the city of Louisville come in and lead in prayer, read something something from the Word of God. didn't hurt anybody. It didn't make anybody that was a Baptist become a Catholic or a Catholic become a Buddhist or a Buddhist become a Christian. didn't make anything like that. It was simply recognizing that this nation was founded on principles that are in the Word of God. In 1962, the highest court of the land, the highest authority of the land said willfully, we reject that foundation. And we say that no longer can this be done in the schools. Up until that date, America has been blessed like no other nation had ever been blessed. Economically, spiritually, materially, physically, every other way. We were the pride of the world. Everybody in every nation on earth looked to America, looked to New York, looked to the Statue of Liberty and said, oh, someday maybe I'll get to go to America. From that day until now, what is it, 18 years? Something like that. America's gone into a tailspin. There's nobody in the world that loves America. All the nations are set against this nation. Nobody loves America. You go to some place and they say, go home, Yankee, go home. Even in South America, even in Central America, and in Europe, and in Asia. And we're in an economic tailspin. To say nothing of the moral and spiritual tailspin. I submit to you, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl, no home, no family, no church, no school, no nation, no city, no people can ever spit in God's face and prosper. You cannot say, we don't need you anymore, God, and prosper. It is written not only in the word of God, but it is written in the constitution of the universe because God made this world. And this is what Paul is saying in Romans. He's saying, when God made the world, there was planted in the heart of man a knowledge of God. But instead of listening to that inner knowledge of God that would lead them to worship Him, They became vain in their foolish imaginations. And they became humanistic in their approach. And they decided that thus saith my mind is more important than a thus saith the Lord. And instead of worshiping before the Creator, they began to take little sticks and stones and animals and created things and birds and creeping things and kneel before them. And I want to tell you it does not take centuries for that to happen. I give this point of example. When God first gave the Ten Commandments, they were given in oral form, Exodus 20. And then God wrote them on a thing with his own finger on some stones. Moses was in the mountain. Aaron was down with the people. And Moses was up there forty days. The people had already heard the voice of God. They knew the deliverance of God at the Red Sea. They knew the power and the authority of God. They knew the impeccable life of Moses. But while Moses was up on that mountain, they came to Aaron and said, Aaron, let's take up an offering. And we'll put all our gold in. And, and, and Aaron, you make a, a golden calf, And uh, like everybody else has. And let us uh, have this as an altar. Now, we'll still worship God, but we, wanna, we want something like everybody else has got. And so Aaron did it. He didn't have any more sense than to believe that he was a representative of the people. My dear friend, the preachers are not representatives of the people. They're representatives of God to the people. And whenever a preacher thinks that he's got to find out what the people want and then give them that, Ichabod is written across his life. You might have some pretty little kind of fellowship but it won't be anything that is from the Word of God. And that group won't stand for anything. And neither are the deacons representatives of the people. The deacons are representatives of God to find out what God wants, and then to give that to the church, not to go and find out what does this group want, this group want, some other group want, and then come and tell the preacher what to do. That's never been God's plan or God's will, ever. Never in a thousand years. And ladies and gentlemen, One of our big problems in America tonight is that all of our congressmen have decided that they're not going to find out what God wants and what is really best for our nation, but they're going to find out what will give them the greatest political acumen, and they're going to do that. And our world has been trained to say, my name's Jimmy, I'll take all you gimme, and so every kind of socialistic program that can come along where we can give the people more and more and more and more and take care of them more and more and provide all their social needs and all their fellowship needs and all their medical needs and we have medical, socialized medicine and everything else. And after a while, we will bleed ourselves into utter bankruptcy because we have forgotten that God is on the throne and that the humanistic approach to life is not God's plan. And so the people said, build us a little calf, Aaron, and Aaron was their little Aaron boy, and he built a little calf. And he said, now we will worship the Lord. Let's come and kneel here and we'll worship the Lord. You notice the scripture carefully. He didn't say worship this golden calf. He said, worship the Lord. And when Moses came down out of the mount, he saw what was going on. How long did it take them to go from worshiping, God to kneeling before an image. Forty days. How long is it going to take America to go from being a nation that has based its history and its whole life upon a worship and and a, a supreme being looking to God, the Lord God, to worshiping at the images of humanism less than 18 years? We're there, brother. We're there. And Paul said, that which may be known of God was clearly seen. People could know it. It was not hidden. It was not some deep, dark mystery. And any of you who studied European civilization and your books begin by saying <coughs> that in the beginning man was polytheistic, that he worshipped many, many gods, and finally because of his own approach to things, he finally figured out there was only one God. That's a lie. The Word of God says that man in the very beginning worshiped one God, one, and his... Homosexuals to stage march and rally in Washington for equal rights. Flesh and blood. A film that I'll not go in, in to discuss. It. And over and over again people march and we want our rights. And in one of the states in the near, in the, in the in the North, I believe it's New York or New Jersey, there's a court case that has been brought by the Civil Liberties Union to say that teenagers, kids 12 and up, have rights, and it is against their rights to say they cannot go into X-rated movies. And there's been a purposeful attempt to discredit J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI, which was the strongest force for moral righteousness in any nation on the earth. And America is in trouble, and God gave them up. What did he give them up to? If you'll notice in your word, in verse 24, God gave them up to uncleanness through their own lusts. The lusts of their heart to dishonor their own bodies. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship that serve the creature, the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. What is that? That's humanism. Worshiping the creature more than the creator? That's mere, pure humanism. And that's where America stands tonight. And our whole philosophy is interwoven with that. What is humanism? It's saying that man is completely sufficient. No help needed. Look at verse 26. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. Now, notice the sequence or the declension. First, God gave them up to uncleanness. And they dishonored their own bodies between themselves, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped the serve, the creature, the human body. But notice secondly, where that led to. I want to give you a hint of warning tonight. Not only to young people, but to adults, and I say this I believe from the Lord. It is a dangerous thing to experiment into that which God says, thou shalt not. If you're married, it's a dangerous thing, lady, at the factory to sit down and have coffee with some other man and begin to talk to him about your troubles. That's a dangerous thing. You may not want what I'm saying, but I just feel the lead of God to say it to you. That's a dangerous thing. And you're flirting with trouble. Now that in itself may not be sin, but it's dangerous. This first section shows that man began to worship at the fountain of humanism. And the result of that was the defiling of the body which is the second reason God said I gave them up. I don't know how many people in these years in Bowling Green that I've counseled with who tell heartbreaking stories, heartbreaking stories, heartbreaking stories. We didn't mean to split up. We didn't mean to have a divorce. We didn't mean to have this problem in our lives, but somehow, you know, we just began to tell our problems to some other person. God says don't do that. The secret, sacred things of your home belong between you and God, and if necessary, some third person who is a counselor who can assist you with this problem, but not to Tom, Dick, and Harry, and not to some other man along the way, not to some other woman along the way. That isn't God's plan. And verse 26, And young people, it is a dangerous thing to experiment with things that God said thou shalt not. God said, not only is extramarital sex wrong, but fornication is wrong, premarital sex. God says, thou shalt not. And when I say, get out of the way, God, I'm going to do it anyway, I don't care what you say, you are running the risk of having God stand back and say, okay, okay. And God gave them up. I'm not saying that everybody here tonight who examines his own heart before we take the Lord's Supper and finds that some of these problems have been your problems, that God has given up on you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you're on dangerous territory. And I'm saying that you need to bring your life into subjection to the Word of God. You're on dangerous, dangerous, dangerous territory. Verse 26, God gave them up to vile affections for even their women did exchange the natural use for that which is against nature, and likewise the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, man with man, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was fitting. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. <coughs> if I read this scripture correctly, <coughs> I believe it is in a descending nature. The first time it says God gave them up, he gave them up not to that bottom level, but he gave them up to where they were because they refused to acknowledge him and refused to come back and refused to repent and refused to acknowledge that that moral law written on their heart and the moral law written in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit prompting them inside drew them back. They rejected that and they went on and God said, all right, I give them up and they went to this level. And then, because they had rejected that truth of God, they went on and on and on and that, and God gave them up to this level. Now listen, we're very dangerously near the point of no return, and if I read that Scripture correctly, that last point where God gave them up is irredeemable. It is irremediable. You cannot turn back. That third place where they rejected God. They experimented with all this stuff. Experimented with all this sin. And they went into it. God gave them up. They came here. And they were beyond the point of return. Now let's read that in Romans 3. Romans 1. Look at what it says. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate mind, to do those things which are unseemly. Not only were they experimenting with them now, they were doing them, being filled with all unrighteousness. And here they are, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envying, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, 22 sins listed in that catalog. And they just went on. And I want to ask you, where do you stand? in that declension. Where does America stand in that declension? I believe we're very dangerously near the bottom round but the Bible still says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land Billy Graham said some years ago, America is at a crossroads. I heard him later say, I believe America has passed the crossroads and has made its decision. Now, whatever you think of Mr. Graham, I think he is a spokesman to the world for God. And the whole world is hearing the message. Every time he preaches, he preaches, the Bible says, and he preaches on judgment and the second coming of Jesus. Jesus. And the Bible says God will not do anything until he reveals his secrets to his prophets. And Bible-believing preachers all around the world are heralding the same message I'm giving you tonight. It is late. It is dangerous. We are going almost beyond the point of no return. What can we do? Should we march on Washington? Should we go have a sit-in at the Capitol and go in and Mr. Carter's Oval Office and say, we demand rights. Is that the way to do it? No. No. One by one, one by one, if we'll draw a circle around our own heart and say, God, I don't want you to give me up. God, don't give me up. God, I hear your voice. I know the awfulness of sin. God, don't give me up. I want to come back. I want to come back. And if you'll come back, it's late, but if you'll come back, as long as you can hear that voice of God speaking to your heart, as long as you sense that desire inside of you to come back to God, I want to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, as long as you can hear that inner voice saying, come home, come home, I don't believe you've gone too far. You can come home, you can come back, you can turn around. As far as our nation, I don't know. I don't know. I think officially we've made a decision to go away from God, and God as a result is allowing all kinds of problems to come, plague this great nation, the greatest nation that ever existed. But it's not too late on an individual basis. We can come back. It's not too late on a church basis. We can gather ourselves together in the the faith of the Lord and be a a soul-winning church that will take stands against sin and against unrighteousness until we're laughed at and scoffed at and persecuted and spit at and beheaded like Paul was or put in a dungeon like Jeremiah was or sawn in sunder like Isaiah was or crucified like Jesus was. And God gave them up. Where do you fit into this tonight? I beg you, I appeal to you, I plead with you. Give your life to Christ. Let him have you. Let him make of you what he wants. Jeremiah went down to the potter's house. And he saw the potter making vessels. The vessel had a bar in it. And that potter had to refashion the vessel. We can come and say, Lord, I've got a mar in my life. I've got a crack in my life. I've got a sin in my life. Would you refashion it? I want to be clay in the potter's hand. Let's do that. They would pray, every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> Father, we just kneel before you tonight, filled with sorrow over our sins, filled with hurt over all the malignity, malignancy, spiritual cancer that is eating away not only at our great nation, but eating away and eroding. Our own spiritual lives on individual basis. Lord help us tonight to have a, a desire to come back, to come back. to just yield all there is of us to thee. Before we take the Lord's Supper tonight, Father, help us each one to look in his own life. Examine where we stand. There's not one of us who could stand and say, I've never sinned or my life has been holy, perfect to God. All of us, all of us, Lord, would cry out, I'm ashamed. But Father, we're so thankful that Paul wrote to those Romans in that pagan world, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because that gospel is the power of God unto deliverance to everyone who will believe. Give us believing hearts, believing hearts that Jesus can raise us out of our sins, out of our declension, out of our degeneracy, out of our depression, out of our despair, out of our habits, out of our darkness into Christ's glorious light and from sinking sand Thou canst lift us. Lord, help somebody to be lifted tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. Let's sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. In a little while, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Beloved, Right where we stand, let's get some things settled between our heart and God. Let's just confess our sins to God. Ask Him to cleanse us and forgive us. To some, that may mean walking down this aisle and a recommitment of your vow to the Lord. It might even mean going to somebody else and saying, I'm sorry for the way I treated you. You need to make it right. Maybe you've already made it right. Forgive yourself. You know, one of the great sins we commit is is holding things against ourselves. We don't have any freedom in Jesus. We don't have any freedom in power because we allow the devil to accuse us when Christ has already cleansed us. We've already made the thing right and we have not forgiven ourselves. Loose yourself tonight from the bondage that would shackle you. If you're not saved, that means coming to Jesus and trusting Him as your Savior. If you are saved, that means taking an open stand for God. There's some here tonight, but a long time since you've taken any stand for God. Your membership's off in some other church, or maybe you don't even remember whether you have a membership, or maybe it was a long time ago and it needs to be updated. Maybe you'd like to say, I, You know, I was saved, but I never made it public, never was baptized. I need to come. You you ought to do that. Do what God wants. The Lord is looking for a people who are not afraid to be called His people, who are not afraid to be called a peculiar people, who are not going to be cowed by a world that is indifferent to the claims of Christ. That's what God's looking for. I wonder if there's anybody here like that. I wonder if there's some young man or some young woman who would have the spiritual audacity to say, God being my helper, I'm willing to stand against the tides of sin and debauchery and I want to be what God wants. Maybe somebody here God's calling to be a prophet of our day. There may be someone here tonight that God is calling to go out and give you a life in the cause of Christ. You may not live a long life. It's not how long you live, it's how much you live. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who ought to be God's, somebody in an age like this. Would you stand for the Lord? Whatever it means, as the Holy Spirit whispers to your heart, I could say everybody that'll do this, please come, or everybody to do this. I don't want to say that. I want to say whatever the Holy Spirit has said to your heart tonight, if you're willing to do it, you ought to come and take a stand saying, I'm willing to do it. As we begin to sing, we step out for Christ.